To what's this Dao all about? A lighthearted look at Taoism featuring Dr. Carl Totten and Todd Perry. Carl is the founder of the Taoist Institute in North Hollywood, California. Todd Perry knows a little about Taoism and is mainly here because he owns a few microphones. Now, let's learn what's this Dao all about. everybody and welcome back to What's This Dao All About, the world's number one podcast on Taoism. Could be, could maybe not, I don't know, maybe there's one in Chinese that's really popular, but uh, my name is Todd Perry, with me is the great Dr. Carl Totten. Happy New Year, good to be back. Yes, so um, just to let everybody know, uh, I think I've only mentioned this once, I just want to hit it again, um, we are on Spotify. So, uh, if you guys want to listen on Spotify, uh, our show is on there. Uh, you can find us there, as well as you know iTunes um, and Stitcher. I believe that's everywhere we are. Um, so, yeah, you could do that. And, of course, our own uh, website. Yes. Whatsthisdow.com. Yes. And uh, if you want to keep up with the show or find out you know when we've got new releases and uh, get the occasional uh, quotes from the show, you can follow us on Twitter at what's this Dow? Um, let's see here. So uh, also, um, we are we're still doing our uh, fundraiser for you to, guys to uh, donate to the show and help us spread the message of the Dow worldwide. Uh, if you go to what's this Dow.com and donate fifteen dollars, we'll send you Finding Talents in chapters forty two and fifty three, an unreleased episode. And for $35, you'll get the episode and three fantastic meditations by Dr. Carl Totten. Yes. Yeah. And many people have uh, written me and said how much it's helped their lives. You know, just learning how to let go, learning how to relax, basically learning how to move uh, one's consciousness into the flow of the Tao. And a big one of those shows how to get to the sacred space of the heart. Yes. Uh, something we talk about frequently on the show. Yes. Very important. So on today's show, uh, this is going to be basically uh, just Chongsa. We're going to talk about Chongsa, um, and uh, specifically uh, Chongsa's thoughts on self-transformation. Um, and for those of you who are kind of new to the show, um, Chongsa would be, I don't know, if you, you'd call it the, the number two guy in Taoism after Lao Tzu? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Uh, you know, he was... Uh not a contemporary, uh, certainly, but uh, later, a couple hundred years uh, later, you know, he did a, a lot of writing where he basically took some of the message of uh, Lao Tzu's uh, Taoist thought and uh, applied it to the issues of his day. <laughs> yeah, and the difference in Changsa is where uh, Lao Tzu in the Tao Te Ching writes everything and it's kind of poetic and, you know, it's, it, there's not a, not a lot of verbiage to it, but it's dense, you know. Uh, Chongsa is more uh, laid out in prose, and uh, he tells stories that are um, 
what we say, analogies uh, for Taoist thought. Mm-hmm. And uh, lots of his stuff is very funny. Uh, I often have said on this show that he's like the Mark Twain of Taoism. <laughs> so a couple weeks back, uh, Dr. Totten and I, uh, I, was, I was able to stop by. There was a, a Taoist conference uh, in Los Angeles, and I, I got to stop by a little bit for one day. Mm-hmm. And I bought a book there by Livia Cohn. Yes. And uh, Dr. Totten, if you can explain mm-hmm. Livia Cohn. Yeah, Livia Cohn is one of the world's great... Um, uh, scholars and philosophers of uh, the Tao. You know, for many, many years, she was a, a professor of um, uh, kind of, I guess, East Asian studies and uh, philosophy, uh, you know, religious studies at uh, Boston University. And uh, she's retired now, but she has the, she's the editor of the Journal of Taoist Studies. And she has written, oh my gosh, 30, 40 plus books uh, on on Taoism, so she's quite the scholar, and uh, and also just a, a wonderful woman. I've done uh, programs, uh, you know, with her. Where we've been on the same programs together, panels together, things like that. And um, when she translates a book, you can uh, know it's very authoritative. <laughs> so she put together a book called Changsa, the Tao of Perfect Happiness. Uh, it's by the Skylight Illuminations label, the same people that put out the Derek Lin translation of the Tao Te Ching, which I really enjoy. And in this book, it's interesting because it's laid out in four different sections. So in the Tao of Perfect Happiness, it's universal patterns, body and mind, self-transformation, and the new life. And then under each of these headings, she puts together parables by Chang Tzu that uh, apply to the main topic. So she kind of divides it up into, you know, basically wherever, wherever anybody is on their Taoist journey or things mm-hmm. specifically they want to read about. Uh, so it's a really neat way of organizing it. Uh, so I, I decided here we'd focus on a little bit of Chang Tzu's words on self-transformation. And I noticed that a big theme of it is that uh, with Chang Tzu, it's kind of like addition by, subs- uh, by subtraction. <laughs> uh, he's calling people to kind of be more simple uh, live more intuitive, and uh, Cohn calls it oblivion. Mm-hmm. So, how do we find oblivion? Well, we shall crack open first um, chapter twenty-four of Changsa, which I have here, which I will read. It's a short little thing, and uh, basically, it's the words of someone named Su Wu Gui. Maybe we'll say that, and he's a uh, what's known as a lesser. Taoist uh, teacher or Tao master. Mm-hmm. So these are his words via Changsa. Let me tell you how I evaluate dogs by their looks. Those of the lowest quality rush for their food, fill up, and stop. They are showing the inherent potency of a wildcat. Those of medium quality seem to be staring into the distance. Those of the highest quality are as of of as if oblivious of who or what they are. But the way I evaluate dogs is nowhere near the way I examine horses. They gallop in four ways, straight as if following a plumb line, curved as if following a curve, square as if following a carpenter's square, and circular as if following a compass. All these are fit for a kingdom, but can't hold a candle to those fit for the empire. Empire level horses, their inherent qualities are complete. They are as if anxious, as if forlorn, as if they had lost their identity. Horses like these go faster than any, rushing along and spurring the dust. They simply don't know where they are. Hmm. 
so in this, um, uh, Livia kind of breaks it down into like, especially with the dogs. There's there's three types. There's the worst, and one that runs on sensory desires. You know, they're kind of driven by the id, right? <laughs> uh, the one in the middle are the intellectual desires mm-hmm. and artistic drives. Third, the perfect dog is living in oblivion, which she calls constant spiritual unfolding. Hmm. And, 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 and by saying this, she's saying that uh, being complete means that we use these inborn skills without any concern for sensory gratification, conscious aims, or intellectual goals. Going along with the spirit within, we're also highly competent. Subjectively, this feels like a loss of identity, oblivion, unknowing or no mind. This is where we get closer to perfect happiness. Mm. And that term, no mind, uh, resonates because uh, that's a concept that often has been talked about in fields uh, like uh, Zen, Buddhism, for example. You know, no, what is it, mushin, no, no mind. And, um, you know, I often uh, talk about, you know, one of our problems here in uh, modern uh, Western society is that many people, of course, are in their heads. Yes. (laughs) You know, and so uh, intellectually, you know, we think we can solve everything, but of course we can't. And that leads to what? A lot of frustration, which then leads to maybe the, the, um, the the other side of that coin is that well if people can't you know use their intellect and quote figure out you know a way out of their uh, dilemmas that actually a lot of the extra thinking they've done have created some of those dilemmas for them <laughs> remember the very first thing out of Lao Tzu's mouth was you know the Tao that can be spoken is not the eternal Tao yeah <laughs> and and yet we're constantly thinking you know as 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 if it is um, and so the other place that I think people gravitate to are people who are governed by their emotions yes you know what we call the emotional heart if you will mm-hmm. and, and all the emotional passions you know the hatred the fear the jealousy, the anger, the sadness, the depression, the longing, the yearning, you know, all of those emotional uh, aspects that I'm sure all of us can readily relate to. Yeah, impulsiveness too. Yeah, Impulsivity, you know. And then when those two link together, you know, the the thinking, the excessive and obsessive thinking with – the excessive emotion, you know, now we're really in a trap. You yeah. know, we're really in a pickle. And it's hard to get, you know, you know see beyond that. And, and so that quote, uh, what was it that, uh, uh, that, that uh, uh, Tronsu uh, just said about this state uh, that, you know, L- Lydia Cohn was, was talking about? Oblivion. Oblivion. So moving towards a state of oblivion, what I sometimes call being uh, at zero you know, being at, really in, in touch with you, with one's uh, true nature, in touch with the greater nature of the Tao, but not having these tapes, these old tapes running in the brain, and not having these old emotional states, particularly states of emotional reactivity, uh, obsessing in the heart, and, and certainly not having the two together <laughs> reinforcing each other. You know, you know, we're obsessive thinking is reinforcing reactive emotional states. When one can transcend both of those, one comes into a state of inner peace, tranquility, 
and serenity, and it's beautiful. And so moving to this state of no mind, this state of zero, the state of oblivion is a, um, a worthy goal. And I think one of the I think reasons that we do this program is to give people support and really to kind of be like a finger pointing in the direction of what are some ways of thinking, some ways of holding reality and some practices like those meditations you were, we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. What are some practices that can help us all move into that state more often? Yeah, and I, I like how it's a very simple way of describing that state, and it's a state of constant spiritual unfolding. Mm-hmm. So you're, um, I think, again, many times we are, uh, we, we want to codify reality and, mm-hmm. and say, this is what reality is, I have it on lock, I'm right, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that's that. Anybody who doesn't agree with me is wrong. And, you know, it's, it's completely impossible to take the totality of reality and be right about everything yes. and be set in your ways. And it's, it's very similar to the he not busy being born is being dying, mm-hmm. which I say every five minutes on this show. But <laughs> I think that's true. It's constant spiritual unfolding. It's not being settled on, um, again, she was saying here, loss of identity. And, and all that puts us in kind of a, a pure almost infantile state hmm. uh, where we're able to just reflect reality versus trying to impose mm-hmm. our, our inner structures on top mm-hmm. of it. It's really a state of innocence, isn't it? Yes. You know, yes. Like you said, like, like, a, like, a, like a newborn, right? Just very innocent. And an, a newborn is responding to reality moment by moment because the truth is that reality moment by moment is changing. Yeah, it's not the same, but yet the mind, because it has we have a memory, reacts to change as if things really haven't changed. Mm-hmm. You know, we you know we still think that we're the same person that we were when actually old cells have died, new ones have been born. You know, the way we're processing actually is different, but because we have a brain that can remember we respond to things as if we haven't really changed. And and emotionally, of course, uh, we're addicted to drama mm-hmm. and we're addicted to trauma, uh, often literally because much of life, uh, I think our early life and growing up has been pretty traumatic, yeah. uh, just day-to-day life, not to mention the additional trauma that comes from people being abused, abandoned, neglected, raped, robbed, beat up, you know, et cetera. Um, you know, we have actual physically traumatic events that, are, that people are trying to process either consciously or in their unconscious unknowingly. And, that, and that's why I think people are easily triggered, you know, by, into states of emotional reactivity and don't really understand why sometimes yeah, yeah. until maybe they go to uh, someone like me, psychologist, yeah. and get into psychotherapy where we identify those triggers and then, again, try to move towards that state of oblivion, if you will, yeah. so that we, we aren't so easily triggered, which causes obsessive thinking and react, react, overreactive emotional states. And when people are triggered emotionally, 
the more intelligent part of our consciousness, you know, the prefrontal cortex actually goes offline. Yeah. And 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 we don't have access to the creative part and the and the rational problem solving part of our brain any longer. And instead we just act out. Yeah, 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 and we don't we don't think of uh, the consequences of our actions. No. Now, uh, to, to back it up just a little bit, can you find the line of demarcation between being in oblivion and that being in that constant flow of change and, and, and being open to it uh, and, 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 and not thinking and almost being anti-intellectual or mm-hmm. maybe not learning anything? Mm-hmm. Or what, you know, what's mm-hmm. the difference? Can you kind of paint mm-hmm. the picture it's, of that? It's not the same as repression, See, repression or suppression means that we're not actually accepting what's going on in the present moment. You know, we're putting up a shield or a barrier so we cannot feel it. What the the Taoist way, and also the way in Zen Buddhism, by the way, which is very close, is no to have wide open eyes and consciousness about exactly what is happening moment by moment, just not holding on to it. Yeah. Because I, I know one of the things my Zen master says, you know, he feels everything 100% as he, as he inhales and takes a breath. But then as he exhales, he lets it go because uh, reality, the Tao, the universe has moved on. Mm-hmm. So why should we still be holding on to something when actually it's a brand new moment? It's a brand new day, you know, for someone who is truly in the flow. And that's that what has been translated as, quote, oblivion. Uh, it, again, it doesn't mean we're not aware of things and processing things. It means that we are processing them. But then because we process them, we can let go of it and not have to obsess about it interminably. Yeah. And that, and that means we're living in the moment as well. Exactly. Because Lao, Lao Tzu says, uh, those of us that are living in the past are depressed, living in the future are anxious. They're anxious, yes. But there's perfect happiness in the moment. Yes, yes. So let's get on to another... Uh, so, and the Tao oh, sorry. is... Always, I'm just going to mention one more thing. The Tao yeah. is, of course, always about what? Balance. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Being in that place where we have access to the totality of all that is, but we're not attached to any one particular thing, mm-hmm. you know, we experience it and then we move on. You know, so we we become a uh, almost like a carrier of the Tao. We process things through a Taoist lens, and the lens is always that of balance, you know, and knowing when we've had enough, <laughs> and uh, because. It, those who continue to accumulate more and more and more, uh, whether it's thinking or emotional emotionality, become so overloaded that there's no room for anything new. The present moment is crowded out by all these things we've been holding on to from the past, and that's not a um, it's not a, a, a sustainable way to really live, and certainly not to live in peace and any type of harmony in one's mm. life. <laughs> and I'm a big advocate of peace and harmony. Yes. <laughs> uh, real quick, I, got, I just got to point out, slightly distracting, um, they just opened up a pot shop across the street from the Taoist Institute <laughs> where we do the show. And there's an open parking spot right here um, where people who 
park to go in the pot shop go. So as we're talking about this, all these colorful characters are parking, walking in, coming back with their weed, getting in the car and leaving. Oh, that's funny. And so every but every person that comes and drives up seems to be Quite an interesting cat. Yeah, and my back is to them, so I'm not watching it. But you're you're facing them and watching all this drama. I've actually said in recent weeks that you know, uh, one day I should actually go out there with my camera and just record the drama that happens on this corner all day and all night. It's uh, it, it's quite entertaining. Yes. <laughs> what a little slice of reality. Oh, here's another car with the tinted windows pulling up. And I remember I told you earlier today. I said on New Year's Eve it was particularly dramatic because you know the two places that were open where one was the you know the pot the marijuana store and there was a constant stream of characters you know going in there on New Year's Eve and then right across the street is AA Alcoholics Anonymous <laughs> and so you know you had this you know this interesting situation where you have the people wanting to go and get high and then across the street the people who are trying to avoid and let go of their their addiction right. uh, the contrast was amazing talk about yin and yang that was incredible people come Coming and people going. Yes. <laughs> I, you know, next time we do the show, I'm going to come out here with a big thing of Girl Scout cookies. I'm going to make a million dollars. So people coming out of the weed shop, like, you're going to need this in a couple minutes. But, you know, sell SpaghettiOs or something stoners like you know, some cereal, some like tricks. That's or something. funny. <laughs> Back to the Dow. Yeah. Well, we, you know, the Dow is nothing if not uh, funny. Exactly. You know, you have to have a sense, you know, in order to survive on uh, planet Earth, uh, a sense of humor uh, really is uh, life sustaining. It yes. really truly is. Oh, yeah. Because a lot of what happens in this world is utterly absurd. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think uh, Chuanza had a good uh, eye for that himself. Yes, a great sense <laughs> of humor. Nothing, they all have tinted windows. Every guy that pulls up here has tinted windows. If I was a cop, I'd just pull over everybody with tinted windows. Like, well, you know what you're doing in there. Anyway, sorry. We do a whole episode just sitting out here watching these guys. Okay. And now we move on to chapter uh, six of Chongsa. And again, this is about the same type of uh, oblivion and self-transformation. So uh, it's interesting because this, this passage is a, um, a student who is talking to Confucius. Mm -hmm. And... The funny thing is, part of Taoism is kind of the, the Tao Te Ching was kind of rebelling against Confucian rigidity. Mm -hmm. But in Changsa, Confucius is kind of seen as like a Tao master or something. It's kind of weird. I'm not sure. It's like he's two different people in different books. He, mm -hmm. You know. Yeah, I think it kind of depends on the the lens with which one views uh, uh, Confucius. Uh, yeah, on one hand, as you said, you know, it, it, it could be seen as you know, maybe overly rigid about you know certain things because he was trying to organize uh, social structures, you know, at the time, uh, and and one can understand why in the sense that there was a lot of disorganization going on in society at the time of Confucius and Lao Tzu, but they approached it from different uh, lenses, you might say, you know, with Lao Tzu wanting people to you know, return to the source, you know, return to nature, uh, return to finding their own inner uh, truth and expression. And uh, Confucius, more the social scientist, wanting to say, well, let's take a look at how people 
or organizing the relationships. And let me give you some guidelines, some structure as to how uh, leaders can relate to people and how people can relate to their leaders, how family members can relate to each other, that what is the position of the father, the mother, the children, the, 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 the elders and the, and the younger ones. Filial piety. Filial piety. Yes. You know, being uh, you know, true to uh, you know, one's uh, uh, parental uh, uh, restrictions and admonishments so as to be a, a faithful child, you know, or a faithful uh, citizen uh, in, in the country and following the, you know, the structure of the, of the rulership, the leadership. Now, that's something, of course, that Lao Tzu would probably shake his head and go, no, 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 yeah. no not so much. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> so we'll, we'll read this passage here, and it's a student talking to Confucius. As another car with tinted windows just pulled up right here. I'm sorry. I, like, I, keep, I can't not notice now. This is like, we have to close the windows here. It's too good. Yeah, Todd is getting distracted. I, I love I know. That's me, man. I can't. I, monkey mind, whatever. Like, shiny object. Shiny object. Yen Hui said, I'm getting there. And Confucius said, how so? I'm oblivious about benevolence and righteousness. That's great, but not quite it, Confucius said. The next day, he was back again. I'm getting there. How so, says Confucius. I'm oblivious about rights in music. And uh, what they mean by that is uh, rights in music, which indicates a sense of propriety or a feeling of rhythm or social patterns mm -hmm. or um, rights like, you know, where your fork goes on the dinner table, which, mm. you know, kind of things that are arbitrary. That's great, but not quite it, Confucius says. The next day he was back again. I'm getting there. How so? I can sit in oblivion. Confucius was startled. What do you mean, sit in oblivion? I let my limbs and physical structure fall away. I do away with perception and intellect, separate myself from body form, and let go of all knowledge, thus joining great pervasion. That's what I mean by sitting in oblivion. Hmm. And then Confucius says, Join with Tao, you have no more likes within. Transformed in Tao, you have no more guidelines without. You have indeed become a worthy man. May I ask to become your follower? <laughs> kind of turned the tables on him there a little bit. Huh? Yeah, and so uh, Livia Cohen says that sitting in oblivion here is both an advanced state of meditative absorption and a way of being in the world that is free from reflection and intentional action, a spontaneous way of living that's natural simplicity is realized by being at one with the Tao. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. And I like how he says, I become just joining the great pervasion. So we talk, you know, we talk about pervasiveness of something means it, it's mm -hmm. everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. The great, um, great pervasion, I've never heard of it, but that sounds great. I'm part of... <laughs> The ongoing... Sounds like something the dude would say in the Big Lebowski. It's part of the great pervasion, man. Like, yeah. 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 One, one cannot escape the Tao. It's every, it literally is everywhere. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I think in learning how to observe that and be in harmony with that, while at the same time preserving and honoring our own inner nature is the great task of a Taoist, mm -hmm. you know, being in the world. 
you know, because as things are changing externally, internally, there is on one hand, again, constant change and evolution. But on the other hand, we have a brain that remembers things Mm -hmm. and we have an emotional nature that has been conditioned to react certain ways to certain things. And when you put those two things together, there's a certain amount of predetermination that has happened in every human being. And our task is to hold all of that in the space of the Tao, which is constantly evolving and changing. And we are, on one hand, are doing that, and on the other hand, are not. Yeah. <laughs> and learning how to harmonize that within and without, ah, that's the rub. <laughs> that is the task of a Taoist uh, sensibility in this world. Yeah. You know, I like this chapter. It echoes a chapter in the Tao Te Ching, which we were talking about a couple shows back, where uh, Lao Tzu's talking about, you know, uh, he, he who kind of forgets, again, the rites and rituals, you know, or like, you know, when goodness arrives, uh, it's a bad thing. Uh, when, I'm trying to remember the exact passage. Um, he, he's talking about that, you know, yeah, when goodness and virtue arise in the kingdom, it's bad because mm-hmm. it means that we've had to adopt these things which are out, you know, if we just, we're just going with the natural way of things, mm-hmm. you're already good. Mm-hmm. You don't have to learn goodness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're just going along with the nature of things and at one with the Tao, you don't have to learn manners. Right. Manners yeah. are from when we were off that path and now we need rules to get back right. on. External structure, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. we don't need the external structure. So in here, uh, Yen Hui is saying like, Look, I forgot about external structure, and Kavish's like, "Okay, not quite there yet," you know. And then he's finally just, "I've let myself go," and then Confucius is like, "Oh, you're now you're there, man," mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> so let's see here, what time is it? I'm looking at the time, do we do one more of these or leave that for an, a, the goodie for another show? Let's okay, we'll do the last one. Why not? Why not go a little bit longer? Let's see, uh, we're gonna finish with chapter 19 mm-hmm. of Chongsu. And it's just uh, Changsu writing. One is oblivious of the feet when the shoes fit just right. <laughs> One is oblivious of the waist when the belt fits perfectly. Knowledge is oblivious of right and wrong when the mind is in perfect alignment with all. No more changing within, no more following without. This is how you create perfect alignment with all affairs and events. Once you reach this level of enlightenment, of alignment, and you stay in it always. This is the alignment of being oblivious of even the idea of alignment. Hmm. If a drunken man falls off a carriage, he may get hurt, but he won't die. He has the same bones and joints as everyone else, but his injury is different because his spirit is whole. He never knew he was riding. He never knew he fell. Life and death, alarm and terror never enter his breast, so he meets peril with no fear. He is like this under the influence of liquor, how much more so under the influence of heaven. Thus, as the sage rests with heaven, nothing can agitate him. Hmm. Beautiful. Yes. Really beautiful. Yeah. So I'm sorry, I think, you know, we want to walk around being kind of uh, drunk on the Tao. <laughs> yeah. What about drunk on the Tao and drunk on wine? That's, that's double well, good well, in my opinion. truth head. is that a lot of the Taoist sages uh, were known to imbibe in their wine. <laughs> I think that's what eventually drew me to this. You know, so, you know yeah. particularly the poets. 
Oh, yeah. You know, Lee Paul, right? He had a famous Taoist poet, yeah. and he always had a flask of wine in his hand. Good. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a poet, too, but... Uh, uh, regretfully, I don't always have a flask of wine in my hand. <laughs> you know, I, I usually have wine on me and very little poetry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I sustain much of my uh, life these days through poetry. I think I've mentioned that in uh, not that long ago, 2012, February. I even know the, the date, pretty much. I started writing poetry, and I haven't stopped. I've written over 2,000 poems uh, since wow. then. And before that date, I had written exactly three in my entire life. You know, oh, wow. it's, it's kind of like school projects or something. But since uh, 2012, I've written, I, I think it's close to 2,500 poems. And I've been the lucky recipient of many of them. Uh, some of them, yes. My iPhone, I could publish a book of <laughs> your writing just from my iPhone. Yeah, and, uh, and those are coming. I actually have... Uh, over 20 books of poetry ready to go. Wow. Yeah. We should offer those, some of those as a, uh, <laughs> as a bonus. As a thank you. <laughs> as yeah. a thank you, <laughs> you know, for people contributing to the show because I think some of my poetry is really poignant and mm, uh, it is. reflects the Tao. And some of it is just uh, lovely. In fact, I'm thinking about one right now that uh, maybe we can end the show with. It's, it's called A Love Triangle. <laughs> And it goes like this, and it's actually a visual poem because it yes. forms two triangles uh, connected with each other. And it goes like this. Love is all there is. Love is all there. Love is all. Love is. Love. And then it reverses. Love. Love is. Love is all. Love is all there. Love is all there is. Love. And put together, it forms a love triangle. <laughs> if I may, uh, that was a beautiful note to go out on, but there's a big point Olivia Cohen made here for yes. this, this, this piece. Um, she's saying the ultimate state is being oblivious of even being oblivious. To forget the forgetting. In the early Tang Dynasty, Taoists called this double forgetting. Mm. So it's like you get this stuff so deep in your bones that it just becomes who you are, right? <laughs> and I think once I was talking to a friend of mine uh, named Dune, and I said, you know, I think I'm going to do this uh, podcast on Taoism because I'm into Taoism. He was like, yeah, no joke. And I was like, what? I was like, I, I don't think I talk about it that much. I kind of keep those ideas to myself. And he goes, no, it's just kind of in, in everything hmm. that you've done for the other stuff. You're always kind of quoting Lao Tzu or what. But you, you kind of don't even realize it because it's, it's in your bones. It's what, mm -hmm. it's how you see the world. Um, yeah, it's like just installed on the hard drive, you know. You embody the Tao. Yeah. Oh, well, not quite there yet. <laughs> um, Remember Todd and Tao, <laughs> they start with the same. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> same letter. 